Good evening and welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to this evening service. It is as God's people good to be back in his house to worship and to praise him. We do have a preacher. He's sitting right there. It's good to have our brother, Pastor Briggs from Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'll say a few words before he gets up, but it's good that he's here to minister the word of God to us this evening. And before we get to there, let us have our call to worship. It comes from the book of Psalms in chapter 92, where the psalmist says this, It is good, good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. What a great introduction to bring us into our time of worship this evening. And as we do so, please turn in your hymn books to hymn 535. Hymn 535. How good it is to thank the Lord and praise to thee most high accord, to show thy love with morning light and tell thy faithfulness each night. Let us stand as we come to worship our great God with hymn 535.
Please remain standing and turn to hymn number 217. Hymn 217. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. Let us cry unto God with song. Please be seated. Having sung together, let us now pray to our great God in heaven. Let's pray. loving eternal heavenly father we do thank you for this your day we thank you for this evening hour of worship that we as your people can come into your house to praise and adore you the one true and the living god you're a god indeed who is worthy of our worship you are worthy O lord and we come this evening in awe and in adoration lord even as we read and were reminded this morning of indeed your steadfast love that never wavers for your people. Lord, we pray that in that our hearts even this evening would be encouraged. We thank you, O God, that indeed you are a faithful God, a God who does not change like we do, 
a God who never wavers, and a God who we can depend upon. And, O Lord, this evening we come in that vein of worship, because indeed we need your help in your presence, even this very hour and this week to come. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us at times when our hearts are cold to the things of your word and even to God's people and to you yourself. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the times when your word is not opened in our homes. Even as fathers that lead our children, we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us and help us in these days to be faithful fathers and husbands. We pray and ask, O Lord, that you would enable us as church members to be about the means of grace when they are readily available. And we cry on to you, O God, even as we were reminded this morning that we would come with hearts that are earnestly desiring to learn and to grow from your word. Lord, we pray in these days of much materialism and much self that we would throw those things aside that we would see that we are nothing without Christ, that we are nothing unless we are clothed in his righteousness. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us again of times when we are proud and arrogant, thinking even when we know better than even you. And, O Lord, forgive us at times when we make you just like us. Lord, we ask that we would see you in all of your glory and in all of your splendor, And that we would marvel, even as we read this morning in the book of Exodus, that when they were around that mount, that they were fearful to come to you because of how holy a God you were. Lord, remind us indeed that you are a three times holy God. And the things from your word are not mere stories and fables, but they come from the living God, the one true God. And so, Lord, we ask, we beg, continue to give us that hunger and that desire for your word in these days. And when we think upon that, we think of those who day after day and week after week translate for others who do not have it in their own tongue. Lord, we, tonight we think of Bible Translation Fellowship especially. We pray for the work that they do and they They faithfully do it. We pray for those in leadership that you would continue to encourage and enable them as they take your word and translate it for those who do not have it. Lord, in our own homes, we have so many Bibles, so many different translations, and yet there are still people in this world who do not. And so we ask that you would enable and equip those who translate your word. Lord, give them a a desire and a a keenness of eye to make sure that everything is right. And may it be even as they take that word and spread it, that your name would be glorified and magnified through it. Lord, we pray for the churches around our area. And this evening we do pray for Emmanuel. Lord, we thank you for the sister church who is such an encouragement to us and a blessing towards us in these days. We pray for those in leadership. We pray for Rob and Steve, for Chuck and Joe and Rick. We pray for these shepherds. We ask that you would enable and help them in these days. 
Even when we see the evil one being cunning and crafty, we pray, O Lord, that you would shepherd and and guard them with yourself. May it even be as they read your word and study it that it would come with freshness and awe and that as they bring it forth to your people down there that it would come with power and with authority from you yourself. Lord, we do thank you even for this weekend and the remembrance of 20 years of service of Pastor Briggs at that church. We thank you for even some in this congregation who have benefited from that service. And we pray, O Lord, that you would continue to give him the health and the strength and the soundness of mind to continue on in this work. We thank you for his endeavors over many, many years. And we pray, O Lord, that you would continue to equip him Give him that desire to be in your word. Give him that hunger to tell others the gospel. And may it be even through this ministry in years to come that more would hear the good news of Christ and salvation would be theirs. We we thank you for his wife, Elaine. We thank you for her many years of service and quietly doing it, as it were, behind the scenes. Lord, even as, as a family ourselves, we are so thankful for them in years gone past and in days now. And we pray for them as a couple that you would continue to bless and look after them. And Lord, this evening we do come and we pray again for the Mabiwi family and for that uh, sudden bereavement of their son. Lord, we pray that your balm of, of healing and help would be poured in in that situation. Even with the suddenness and the quickness, O oh Lord, we pray that they would not lose hope, that they would not, as it were, wonder why, but that they would find comfort in you, the all-sovereign God. And, O Lord, again tonight we pray for little Charlotte. We pray for this week. We ask, O Lord, that you would go before her, that you would help, that you would guide those doctors and nurses, that you would help her parents for the children and even for those in the wider family circle, Lord, and us as a church family. Lord, we leave her in your care and in your keeping because you are the one who gives life. You are the one who sustains. Indeed, you know us even better than we do. You know the very hair on our head. And so this evening we cry unto you that you would continue to hold fast this little one. We pray for Mark and Nicole this week. Give them even rest in the evenings for their mind and their body. Such a thing we take for granted. And yet, O Lord, we pray that they would get sleep. May it be at times that their minds would be able to switch off. We pray for our brother Mark, that you would help him with his work and with the load that comes with that. We pray even this week and the weeks to come that if it be in your will, it would be fairly light and that that job, O Lord, would continue and that even his managers and bosses would show him favor. Lord, we pray for Nicole. We ask that you would be with our sister this evening even as she sits at that bedside and looks at her little daughter, we pray that you would comfort and help her. No doubt her heart is torn and her mind is wandering. Lord, we pray that she would be leaning heavily upon you, even this very hour, and that she would know that men and women across even this whole world are uplifting her and this little one up to the throne. Lord, we pray for our service this evening. We thank you that we even have an evening service to come and to worship. Lord, let us never take those things for granted. And as we do so, may you enable and help and equip both preacher and hearer alike 
that as your word goes forth, that we as the hearers would be sitting in anticipation on the very edges of our seat, listening to the word of our great God. And may, O Lord, we not just merely listen, but may we take and do what you have commanded us from that word. Lord, meet with us this evening. Send forth your spirit. Equip us and encourage us. For we ask it in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to our consecutive reading this evening from the book of Psalms. Psalm number 78. Psalm number 78. We're going to read together from verse 56 to the end of the chapter, verse 72. Psalm 78, beginning at verse 56. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Verse 56 says, Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on their heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young woman had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to right and he put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the, the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Amen. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. It is with great privilege that we have Pastor Robert Briggs coming to minister to us. Twenty years ago, I sat as a young boy or a young man or whatever you want to call me, as I am still young, in a little church in Macrofelt. And it was this Sunday that he actually preached, like I said this morning, his last sermon to us with many tears. And like I told you this morning, with anger in my heart, if I'm being honest, that he was going but it feels surreal as a pastor in Placerville 20 years later to welcome our brother into the pulpit to preach. The Lord works in mysterious ways. 
his wonders to behold. I'm very thankful to that man for handing a book to my father's hand. He was a farmer. He didn't read. And he handed into his hand a book covering Romans. It changed my father's life and our life forever. It was there where we came to believe and know the Reformed faith. So, brother, it's a privilege. Come and worship and come and preach the word to us. Mervyn had carried on there, I might have had to get my handkerchief out, but thankfully I didn't have to do that just this evening. It is a great joy for me to be with you tonight. I do bring you the greetings of your brothers and sisters in the capital city, uh, Sacramento, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, we've been praying for you. We know that one of your dear families, a number of you then, because you're all connected, are going through a deep trial right now, and we are remembering the family in prayer that the Lord would be merciful in these difficult times. If you think that my voice sounds a little bit funny, I had some surgery on my mouth on Friday morning, so I have a plate in my mouth right now. It doesn't diminish my Scottish accent completely, but I do have a false plate right now because I'm getting some dental work done as a result of a rugby injury about 30 years ago uh, that caught up on me when I had a piece of tri-tip about four months ago. So if it sounds a little bit strange and my S's sound funny, my wife has been... Uh, encouraging me to keep the plate in because I keep wanting to take it out because it's really annoying um, but it hopefully won't hinder our ministry tonight. Please turn in the Bible to the book of James. I'd like to read with you from James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I was going to come and bring a message on Mark until I found out that your pastor was preaching on Mark this morning and so I changed my sermon. Uh, I preached this message to Emmanuel about maybe four or five weeks ago I've been doing some pastoral sermons on Sunday nights to encourage the congregation, um, and this was one of them with regards to the whole matter of our communication and the use of our tongue. And so I want us to turn to James 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, and then we will pray, and then we will seek to understand the things that the Lord has given to us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. James 3, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a, strong, a very small rudder whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring, forth, spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? 
Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing tonight. Almighty God, our loving Father, the great creator of the universe, the wonderful saviour of sinners, we thank you for this evening hour of worship when we can gather to exalt your name, to sing your praises and to hear your word. We pray now, our God, that as we would turn to your word that you would instruct us We are a needy people. We are a people who need the light of your word to shine in our hearts, to inform our consciences, and to transform our lives. We pray now that you would be glorified, even in the ministry of your word, not only by the preaching of it, but by the hearing of it, and by the doing of it in our lives. Come now, we pray, and bless your word to our hearts, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Taming your tongue is one of the most difficult and lifelong battles that you will ever have as a Christian. No matter who you are tonight, you know that getting control of the words that can sometimes come out of your mouth is not easy. You know that what comes out of your mouth can cause no end of harm, as well as be an encouragement. Our Lord Jesus warns us, that we will be held accountable for the words that we speak. The book of Proverbs contains much direction regarding the use of our tongue and the patterns of our speech. When we come to the New Testament, the Apostle James gives us what is probably the most comprehensive instruction on the tongue in all of the New Testament. The book of James is often derided as a book that really Uh, is not worth spending much time. And I would beg to differ on that. I think what we have in the book of James is really the New Testament book of Proverbs. It's full of pastoral wisdom. It's full of help uh, to encourage us in our walk with God and in our relationships with one another. And as I come to you tonight, I want us to think about this whole matter of our speech, of our tongues, of the way that we use our words. And to do that, I want us to walk through this chapter in James chapter 3. There are five truths, I believe, in this chapter that help us to understand uh, how it is that we should tame our tongue, why it is that we should be careful in the way that we speak. We live in a day, and you know this, that it's not only our tongues and what comes out of our mouth that's the problem, it's our fingers and what goes over our keyboards that's the problem. And I can just about remember pastoring before the internet. And oh, what wonderful days they were compared to today. I can barely remember just the peace of not having to be concerned about what is going on on social media. But such is the nature of our generation now that pastorally I've given up on 
that whole issue. You have to be aware of some of the things that are going on as people say things through social media. So the things that we're going to think about tonight from James chapter 3, not only do they have application for literally what you say, but they also have application for what you type and what you communicate even online. So come with me into the passage and let's consider five truths pertaining to this issue of taming your tongue that I think James lays out for us here in this excellent uh, treatment of the use of our tongue. Notice first of all in verse 1, the tongue and the matter of teaching. The tongue and the matter of teaching. I don't know about you, but when I've read this passage over the years, I've often wondered to myself, why does James start here? Why is it in dealing with the issue of speech in general that he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why is it that he starts this discourse on the tongue with the matter of teachers and warns us that not many of us should be teachers? Well, I believe that the reason for that is because what James is doing here right at the very beginning of his treatment on the tongue is giving us a word of caution. He's giving us a word of caution to consider the whole matter of speech. He's doing it with regards to the matter of teaching. What should teachers be? Teachers, when it comes to their teaching, should be careful. They should be thoughtful. They should be considerate in how they put across what it is they are seeking to communicate. And I think that by warning us here that not many should be teachers, James is warning us here that our speech should be characterized by care and thoughtfulness and consideration. We should be careful about what we are saying and how we are saying it. We should be thoughtful about who we are speaking to, and why we are speaking to them. We should be considerate in all things. Back in the old country, we were brought up with a little adage. You might have heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is absolute nonsense. That is simply not true. Words hurt. Words harm. Never teach your child that little phrase. Never encourage them to think that it doesn't matter what people say to you or what you say to people. The reality is that your words do matter. Speech matters. How we speak, what we speak matters. And so here we see James at the very beginning of this discourse on uh, our speech. He, he first of all speaks to the matter of teachers and warns us that not many of us should be teachers. Why? Because when it comes to teaching, there has to be care in what is said. There has to be thought in what is said. There has to be consideration in what is said. And he's setting the tone for all that he's now going to say regarding the tongue. No matter who we are tonight, James's admonition comes to us here from this discourse, informing us that we should be careful in how we speak. We should be thoughtful. We should be considerate. The Lord is concerned about all of these matters. It's true that there are times you have to be passionate in what you say. It's true that you have to be firm in what you say. It's true that you have to be strong in what you say. But nevertheless, we should always be careful. We should always be thoughtful. We should always be 
consider it. So we see from this first point that James is making in this passage that he's concerned that we understand the manner of speech that we should engage in. If teachers are to be uh, teaching, they're to be careful, they're to be thoughtful, they're to be considerate. Not many of us are to be teachers. We should take that on board when it comes in a more general and wider way with regards to our speech. And then he begins to open up this whole topic, this whole topic of our patterns of speech. And notice, secondly, we see here the tongue and its power. We have that in verses 2 through 5. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. Here, James begins to widen out the focus of his discourse on speech. And he wants us to consider very clearly the fact that none of us will ever have perfect speech. None of us will ever speak perfectly. We will speak often sinfully. But here he's also making it very clear that there should come with grace maturity in speech. And he speaks to that by telling us here, uh, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He's not talking here about a man who is sinless so much as a man who is maturing, a man who is growing, a man who is uh, mature in their faith. And he's saying to us here that we need to grow up in our speech patterns. And that's the same for us at a natural level, isn't it? The little ones uh, will learn to speak by imitation, uh, they'll often say things that make no sense. Uh, they'll often chitter and chatter. But as they get older, you expect development in the speech patterns of children. Well, it should be the same for those who are the children of God. We should develop our speech patterns to reflect the grace of God in our life. Some of us will remember that before we were converted, uh, our patterns of speech were far from appropriate. Even uh, potentially our, our speech patterns were, were vile and foul. But the Lord, by his grace, cleaned that up, transformed that, and enabled us to put off that which was inappropriate, that we might then put on grace, and we might have our speech patterns develop and, and mature. And, and brothers and sisters, listen, we've always got room to grow in the patterns of speech that we have. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a church member, whether you're an elder or a deacon, it matters not. Uh, the reality is that there's always room for maturing in the way that we use our speech. And here James wants us to see the power of the tongue by giving us a number of illustrations that are worthy of our consideration to help us to see that this little member that is in behind our teeth, though it is small, is powerful. Notice, first of all, he compares it to the idea of a horse's bit. I've only been on a horse a few times in my life. I would like to have done it more, but never had the opportunity. I remember many years ago when we were on holiday as a family, I was about 12 or 13, I had some horse riding lessons. It was good fun, I enjoyed it. Um, but never having the opportunity to own a horse, uh, I never really took it up at all. But recently, Elaine and I were in London, 
and we visited the Horse Guards Parade. Now, if you know anything about London, the Horse Guards Parade is not far from 10 Downing Street, very popular tourist attraction. But outside the barracks of the Horse Guards Parade are these huge horses, and they're mounted by soldiers. And you may have seen them with those pointed hats and all the flumes and uh, very, very fancy leather boots. But the horses are so still that when you look at them, you wonder, is it real? Until, of course, a tourist goes over and pats the horse and wants a picture. And the horse's head goes down. But the, but the soldier grabs the reins and pulls the horse back with the bit that is between its teeth in order to control that huge animal. I've often wondered what it must have been like in war when horses came charging towards you and you were a footman. That must have been a terrifying reality. But what we find when it comes to that little bit, that little mechanism of metal between the horses and the horse's mouth is that it has great power and great impact to control the animal. This is what James is saying to us here regarding the matter of our tongue. There is power in this little member that we have, like the power that a, a horse's bridle has. Then in verse 4 he says, it's also like the ship's rudder. He speaks to this whole matter of, of the ship and that little rudder on the back of the ship. One of the interesting places that we visit when we go home to Northern Ireland is the Titanic Quarter. That great ship was built in Belfast. And when we were there recently, there was a $12 million yacht moored uh, right beside the hotel that we stayed in before we got our flight home. And at the back of it, you could see just below the waterline this little rudder uh, that controls the whole ship. And of course, nowadays, of course, it's not that big wheel that you see on these old movies, but it's a little joystick that they have in the cabin, and they just move it around. And that, that ship is, is moved by the, in directions uh, with regards to the navigation system by that little rudder. And here again, James is telling us, look, that little member between your teeth, it has power. It has power to guide and direct and impact and influence. And you need to understand this. And then finally in verse 5, he gives us the third illustration, the illustration of a small spark. Small spark that will set ablaze the forest. We know this in California pretty well, don't we? Especially in the season when there's forest fires. It doesn't take very much. I was up recently with Jeremy Twombley at our men's retreat in his church, and he has a, a member of his church, and I always talk to him because it's very interesting. He's a forensic uh, officer in the fire department. He goes out to uh, pursue arsonists and he always has stories to tell me about arsonists that they've caught who are lighting fires in California. There was this gentleman he was telling me who just was driving around from his car just throwing uh, firecrackers out of his car uh, to try and start fires up in the Reading area. Eventually they worked out what he was doing and they caught him. But we recognize, don't we, that that little spark, all it would take is that little spark and the fire could burn down a whole town like paradise was burnt down not too long ago. James is using these illustrations to help us to see the importance of the power of this little member called our tongue that we need to be aware of. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we really understand just how significant uh, this is in our lives. As we reflect on these illustrations, we must not miss the point that James is saying to us. This member called your tongue, through which you speak, through which you communicate, it has 
power to control and to guide and to direct and to impact lives at a level that can be wonderful or disastrous. And we need to be aware of this. As Christians, we, need to, we must not be naive. We live in this day and age where there are so many ways you can communicate your words. And it can have a devastating impact. Or it can have an edifying impact. That brings us to the third point in our passage I want you to see. We've seen clearly the importance of uh, our speech being careful and considerate. Not many of us are to be teachers. We see here the power of the tongue. We need to recognize that. Notice then, thirdly, the tongue and its danger. The tongue and its danger. We have that in verses 6 through 8. Because having reminded us of the smallness of the tongue and yet the power of the tongue even though it's small, James then begins to open up the fact that this member of our tongue, it can be dangerous. And I think what he's really addressing here is the whole issue of speech in the first century in the church. He's seeking to instruct the Christians about how they speak and to realize that their speech patterns can be detrimental to the peace and the unity of the church. And we're going to see that as we get towards the end of this chapter. But notice that the tongue is like a fire. Uncontrolled, it will be destructive. It will cause great harm, as we see verse 5, moving in uh, to verse 6. Then it says, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. In this sixth verse of our passage, I think James is seeking to tell us that out of all the members of our body, the tongue can function as a, in a world of its own. A world of its own, a world of iniquity. Functioning uh, like a, a creature, if it were. Behaving carnally, behaving harshly, behaving unkindly, behaving harmfully. Causing all sorts of trouble for us. And James highlights three elements here uh, of the tongue being a world of iniquity. It pollutes our whole character if it's out of control. If it's untamed, it will, we, our whole character will be marked by it. And you know that. And I know that. There are people whose reputations are that they're slanderers, or they're gossips, or they're, they have angry outbursts, or they sow discord, or they're, they're complainers, or they're grumblers. Well, how did you know that? By the way they use their tongue. By the patterns of speech that come out of their mouth. Notice it also influences the whole course of life. An untamed tongue... Is so dangerous that it might cost you your marriage. Over many years, abusive speech will destroy a marriage. It may cost you your relationship with your children. Over many years, your children will become seriously disaffected if your patterns of speech are harsh and unkind. Church discipline, it may end that you may end up in church discipline because of your misbehaving speech in the church. It certainly can get you into a lot of trouble at work, can't it? You know people at your workplace and uh, who have got themselves into trouble by the, what they've said uh, in the workplace. You know, certainly it can cause trouble in your neighborhood. You just have to have one bad word with your neighbor at the mailbox and life can be pretty miserable all of a sudden. Certainly we know, don't we, in the political sphere, as America comes up again to this crazy season of picking a president, the reality is that it's going to get out of hand. And there's going to be all sorts of ridiculous things said. The new Speaker of the House 
professing Christian man. I watched uh, an interview with him, and, and I thought, this man seems to really know the Lord, and yet he was basically regarded by the, by the media as the Taliban, uh, the Christian Taliban. This is the kind of language and rhetoric that is used. That's hardly designed to commend him uh, to the nation. And the political sphere is rife with all manner of, of dangerous speech. You know that misrepresentation, falsehood, misinformation, they're all designed uh, to cause mayhem and to cause discord and to cause trouble and to cause harm. And James here is seeking to instruct us in this, that the tongue is dangerous if the tongue is not tamed. And brothers and sisters, we need to be very clear. Notice verse 7 and verse 8a. He says a most remarkable thing here that's quite humbling for us to consider. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. You know, you have more chance of taming a lion than you have of taming your tongue. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered that? You've got more chance of taming a wild beast than taming that little member that's in behind your teeth. He's making it very clear that this is a dangerous member that we have. And then he tells us in verse 8b that it is, can be an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Listen to what the Puritan Thomas Manton said on this text. God hath in the structure of the mouth appointed a double rail to it, teeth and lips, and by grace hath laid many restraints upon it, and yet it breaks out. In other words, God in the natural realm has put some guards on our mouth for a reason. And yet we break through them. The tongue is hard to tame. John Adams says this, It wounds affection, blasts character, ruins peace, and even in cases not a few destroys life itself. Many droop and die, pierced by its fatal arrows. Many a life has been ruined and wrecked by the abuse of the use of the tongue. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, be very clear. As we walk through this passage and think of James's pastoral instruction to us, we must not underestimate the danger of an untamed tongue. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. An untamed tongue is a dangerous thing. It does only harm. It only causes pain. It only causes trouble. It only divides. It only ever tears down. It never unites. It never builds up. It never heals. How vital it is for us tonight to understand James's instruction. We're often marked, aren't we, by untamed speech. An untamed tongue is a sinful reality. It's like a fire. It will destroy. It's worse than a wild animal. It cannot be brought to heal. It will not be tamed. It will do great harm. And so we must weigh up our words carefully. We must recognize the danger of an untamed tongue. And we must recognize the threat that it brings to our lives and to the lives of others. And that brings us to the fourth thing to consider in our text. The tongue and its inconsistency. 
And we have that in verses 9 through 12. James has warned us of the danger of the untamed tongue in regards to its power, in regards to its danger. And now he wants us to think about how inconsistent this tongue can be. Verses 9 and 10 speak to the reality of the blessing of our speech on the one hand and the cursing it can be on the other. To bless God one minute and curse our fellow man the next minute, James says, simply wrong, simply sinful. We must not make excuses, but we are inconsistent in our speech, aren't we? We all are inconsistent in our speech. James points out the error of our inconsistency for those who are God's people, who are children of grace. We must see it, we must confess it, and we must strive to grow in gracious patterns of speech. Speech that is seasoned with grace. Speech that encourages and builds up. Speech that is driving for peace and reconciliation. Speech that is committed to peace and unity. But tragically, we know, don't we, how inconsistent we can be. We know, don't we, brothers, that we can be singing God's praises here tonight and go home and speak a harsh word to our wives in five minutes. We know that tomorrow we could be at work and we could be gossiping about one of our co-workers and guilty of inconsistency. Brothers and sisters, we must not accept the inconsistency of our speech as though it's no small thing. We must not accept the inconsistency of anybody else's untamed tongue in our presence. We must strive to be what Christ calls us to be as those who are marked by self-control, which is the fruit of the Spirit. That includes what we say. That includes what we don't say. The inconsistency of the untamed tongue means that we all need to take it more seriously than we do. Assertions like, well, it's just the way I am. Well, you know, you made me say that. Well, I, you know, I didn't actually mean what I said. Well, why did you say it? You've heard that one, haven't you? No, we need to take it seriously. We all sin with our tongue. Those of us who are preachers and teachers, we can sin even more than you do. We have to take it seriously. We must own it. We must not justify it. We must not minimize it. We must not excuse it. We must honestly confess it to the Lord. The wonderful thing about Christ is that if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what humility teaches us, you see. That's what grace teaches us, to confess our sins, to forsake our sins, and to know the forgiveness of our sins as we look to Jesus. And that brings us to our final consideration. Our final consideration is found in verses 13 through 18 here. The source of an untamed tongue and the source of a tamed tongue. The source of an untamed tongue and the source of a tamed tongue. James concludes this central and important section of pastoral instruction in his letter regarding speech by directing us to the fact that there is a source from which our speech comes. There is a source for an untamed tongue. There is a source for a tamed tongue. James asks the important question, who is wise and understanding amongst you. Who recognizes that an untamed tongue is a terror and a tamed tongue is a blessing? Who recognizes that? Well, hopefully God's people do. Hopefully you do. Hopefully I do. Why? Because of Christ. Who wants to be marked by good and humble conduct as opposed to harmful and proud conduct? 
The possession of a tongue whose words are measured is to be desired rather than a tongue whose words are not measured and are wild and harmful. Notice what James actually says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his words in the meekness of wisdom. He's talking here about humility. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What is James saying here? He's saying that the source of what comes out of your mouth is your heart. And the tongue, as Jesus tells us, is the index of the heart. The heart that is marked by bitterness and self-seeking and falsehood, that will be the untamed tongue. Influenced by the powers of darkness. James pulls no punches here, does he? He talks about being earthly and unspiritual and demonic. Do you realize that an untamed tongue is here paralleled by James as being demonic? Well, think about that. Who is the father of lies? Who is the accuser of the brethren? Who is the one who said, has God really said? The devil himself. And we need to be aware of this. The heart that is, that is marked by bitterness and self-seeking and falsehood, that is a heart that will produce an untamed tongue. So the issue you see is the condition of the heart. But the heart that is marked by purity and peaceableness and gentleness and willingness to yield and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial, not hypocritical, is from God. That will be a tongue that will be tamed. Not perfectly, but certainly one that is restrained. In other words, the untamed tongue, that's of the devil. But the tamed tongue, that is of Christ. That is of Christ working in our hearts by his spirit. And so what does that mean for us? It means this. You can only tame your tongue through true saving union and communion with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can only tame your tongue through union and communion with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. You come to church, you hear the word, you're considering where you're at with God. May I say to you, your greatest need is your, the forgiveness of your sins. The only one who can forgive your sins is the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only one who's come in order to deal with our greatest problem, which is our sin. Maybe that you know as you listen to this sermon that you have real problems taming your tongue. Where is your hope? Where is the power to, uh, to tame this member? Even though it will never be perfect, where is the power to be delivered from that which governs your life in an untamed tongue? The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is the Lord Jesus who has come into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. He has fulfilled the law. He has satisfied divine justice. He has turned away divine wrath. He has made atonement for sin. So if you would have your sins forgiven, if you would be delivered from the, from the slavery of a, an untamed tongue, come to Jesus. Believe in him. For those of us who have come to Christ, and that I'm sure is the majority of us here tonight, we must reckon, mustn't we, that we must never be satisfied with our patterns of speech. We must always be striving 
to have better patterns of speech. You think of our marriages, how we communicate with our spouse. Nobody ever sees it, only you do. But you know whether your patterns of speech are seasoned with grace, are marked by love, are gentle and kind and forbearing and encouraging, or whether behind closed doors you're a bit of a demon and your patterns of speech are abusive and they're angry and they're bitter and they're jealous. You threaten the very well-being of your marriage. You see, the only way that that can be dealt with is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that that can be dealt with is through doing serious business with Christ, that he would grant you the restraint you need to put off that which is untamed and seek by his grace to tame the tongue. Maybe that you're very nice in the church, but when you go to work on a Monday morning, your testimony ain't so good. You're known to be the one who spreads falsehood. You're known to be the one who manipulates. You're known to be the one who slanders. That ought not to be if you're a Christian. How then are you going to handle that in the public arena? You need the Spirit of God. You need the power of Christ. And Christ is able to grow you up and put off old patterns of untamed speech and put on new patterns that bring glory and honor to the Lord. We're living in days in which we need this wisdom that comes from above. And who is this wisdom that comes from above? It is Christ himself. He is the personification of wisdom. He is to us, as Paul says, wisdom. And how do we obtain that grace through Christ? We obtain it through the Spirit who dwells within us, who has brought us from death to life to believe in the Lord Jesus and that's why Paul says in Galatians 5 that we are to walk in the Spirit, that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what is one of the great fruit of the Spirit? Self-control. Self-control. Enabling us to have speech patterns that are not harmful, but are edifying. That are not divisive, but are unifying. That are not warlike, but are peaceable. My dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you tonight to see the wisdom of God here laid out in this chapter to help you, warning you of the, the power of the tongue, of the danger of the tongue, identifying for you where the source of harmful speech comes, the condition of the heart, directing you away from yourself to the one who is wisdom itself the Lord Jesus Christ. God warns that where there is a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. We do well to heed that exhortation. Every day we use words. We must measure them. We must consider them. We must weigh them. Every day we are bombarded by words. We must measure them. We must consider them. We must weigh them up. Words can either build up or they can tear down. They can either encourage and heal or they can discourage and wound, even destroy. Words can unite or they can divide. They can uphold peace or cause discord to erupt. No matter who we are, men, women, married, single, old, young, we must all strive by the grace of God through faith in Jesus to tame our tongue. 
It is the wisdom from above that enables us to possess tame tongues. It is that which is demonic that causes untamed tongues. May I encourage you tonight to resolve to walk in the wisdom that comes from above, not from below, knowing that such will aid peace and enable righteousness in your life, in your family life, in your church life, for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, have mercy upon us. It's hard for us when we walk through a passage such as this one in James not to be convicted about the patterns of speech that we can often be guilty of. We recognize, Father, that an untamed tongue is a harmful reality. We recognize a tamed tongue is only possible by the power of your Spirit. And even then, Lord, we know that this side of glory, it will never be perfect. We ask, Lord, that you would have mercy upon us when we are so inconsistent. And we dishonor the name of Christ by the patterns of speech that we are characterized by. Forgive us that we do not take more seriously the teaching of your word regarding the use of our tongue. Forgive us when we justify ourselves and excuse ourselves, try to explain ourselves. Grant us a deeper resolve to be like the Lord Jesus. Give us the grace that only comes through Christ to edify others, to affirm others, to uplift others, to comfort others, to strengthen others. Deliver us, Lord, from gossip and slander, grumbling and complaining. May our speech be seasoned with grace that we might honor your Son and exalt your name. May we be marked by the wisdom that comes from above and not the wisdom that comes from below. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together. As we close out our worship tonight, I do invite you to take your hymn books and we're going to turn to 446. That man is blessed who fearing God from sin restrains his feet. Let us rise together and let us sing 446.
remain standing for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.